Thank you for joining us for In Conversation from Harvest House Church. We hope you enjoy. Is anybody out there at all? Welcome, friends. Thanks so much for um, deciding to spend this Wednesday evening with us. Uh, We are going to be spending a little bit of time specifically on the topic tonight, Can You Trust Yourself? Uh, But before we do, I thought it might be nice if we just opened uh, with a word of prayer and, and invited uh, the Holy Spirit to lead us and be with us. And, and specifically, um, there's so many people who are in different spaces and um, facing so many different things right now. So, Garrett, would you mind uh, just opening with a word of prayer and, and um, maybe including in that just a prayer for anybody that might be facing something specifically right now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for every opportunity you give us to uh, come to your throne. And I just pray, Lord, that you would be with each and every one of us this evening. I pray that you would uh, help us uh, with the uh, the topic of this evening, and and Lord, we would realize that we can open ourselves up, that we can trust ourselves. And I just pray, Lord, that if anyone is going through anything at this moment, I pray that you would bring comfort, that you would bring peace, and Lord, that they would learn to uh, to listen to their conscience and and listen to the voice of the Spirit within them. And again, Lord, we just. Uh, be careful to give all you all the grace and all the glory. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight, um, this is the, the first of these conversations. Uh, this was actually Garrett's idea, so I, 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 uh, I'm trusting his inner voice uh, <laughs> at the moment. Um, but uh, we thought it might be nice to come to you in this format um, rather than a sermon um, or a teaching and to spend some time just discussing in this moment um, a topic that we both really felt was important. Um, and I'm going to start with kind of the, the, uh, the general theme, the thesis, the idea of what we're trying to convey. And, um, and we're just going to see we didn't actually spend a lot of time discussing this uh, between ourselves. So we're, this is going to be very much led, uh, we believe, led of the Spirit. You, you can choose which spirit it's led by. Um, maybe it's the spirit of confusion. But uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the thought behind this is that we are living in an unprecedented time. Um, the moment that we're in um, the global pandemic, there are so many things that are happening and so many specific um, challenges people might be facing, scenarios that they might be encountering. And what I keep thinking about is that within this, there's also a multitude of voices telling you how you should feel telling you how you should process it, telling you, um, I- if I can use this type of language from an, from an exterior voice or perspective, how you should interiorly handle it. And I think that um, for me, uh, you know, I think Paul even talks about that there's uh, a multitude of voices and none of them are without individual significance, but be careful that you don't get carried away with them. And I, I think that that rings really true to me today. Um, you see so many people that are, maybe they're saying um, that in this moment of COVID-19 and, and challenge that um, you need to lean really hard into emotions like anxiety and fear um, or um, anger even. And then there's, you might read that, and, and then the next post on your uh, social media platform of choice might say that you as a Christian, is speaking specifically to Christians in this regard, that you're not supposed to feel any of those things because if you have faith that God doesn't want you to feel any fear, anxiety, or doubt. Gary, have you seen anything like this? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we were. Uh, I think we were kind of trained to uh, to think in those terms. Yeah. So, so what we want to do is take a little bit of time and talk about um, the 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 inner voice. And I'm I'm going to set a couple ground rules. And Garrett, keep me honest here. 
So as we talk, you'll probably hear myself at least say inner voice and conscience. And I'm going to use those terms interchangeably. Uh, to me, those are coterminous. Your inner voice is your conscience. And I'm going to go ahead and make a statement or a leap that I believe that your inner voice is the divinely implanted Spirit of God. And that if we were created, this is ultimately my big thesis, that if we were created good and in the image and likeness of God, then at your core, it's the, it's the voice of God, it is the Spirit of God that is speaking through you. And, and I believe there are many modes it can do that through your emotions, through your body, um, but all of those things are good because they were created in the image and likeness of God, and when God created us, Garrett, he called us good. I think so. <laughs> so, Which is not what we hear today. Which is not what we hear today. That's which, true. Which means we can't trust ourselves. Because we come from a, a fallen, broken Go there. Yeah, that's right. Position. Go ahead. So that's that, I think you're right. Yeah. Now, I, I, uh, I wasn't that long ago I heard a podcast and Arthur Green, and he, did, he said, you know, in Christianity, the question is, are you saved? But in Judaism, it's not are you saved, but it is uh, do you hear the voice of God? Do you stand at the mountain and hear God's voice? So I, I'd like to like to hear your response to yeah. what that would look like. Well, th so that's I, I love that that lead in because ultimately what I think about when I hear that, what it makes me think about is there are two sides to that coin. There are are the folks that um, that can feel very deprecating. Um, that can make people feel really badly about themselves if they don't feel that they are somebody who is predisposed to hear God's voice, right. if they don't know how. Or maybe they've been told, so this is, stop me when I, pull me back when I get too far off the, off the road here, Garrett. But, um, um, but there's a gravel road that I feel like we need to take and maybe get back on the main road. Don't we think that part of the problem is if people believe that our innate nature is a sinful, fallen, broken, um, and, and um, depraved, to use right. full language, nature, that you can't. And so what people would say is, I am not good enough to hear God's voice. And we base that on our actions or some specific list of moral rules. Right. It's like, am, am I worthy rather than start the starting point be God is worthy. That's right. And we're created in his image. That's right. And there's already a connection. That's right. There's already a voice speaking. And, and we basically just have to be in tune. And, and it's funny, I remember reading Thomas Keating said that, that for many of us, we were taught that spirituality was about addition. But in reality, spirituality is about subtraction. And it's, so it's not about adding, um, you know, that you can hear God's voice when you learn this prayer or when you learn to quote scripture well or when you learn the right worship song or when you go to the right church or when you pay your tithe. Yeah, uh, if you listen to the pastor. If you listen to the pastor. Yeah, that's right. Follow these rules. But rather that, that the true voice of God, thinking about it this way, if the voice of God is the spark of life that is within you, it's found not by adding to who you are, but it's found by going deeper into who you already are. You don't, right. add, you don't put things on to find God's voice then. Theosis. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. You, you don't put things on to find God's voice. You don't add new, not that there's wrong, anything wrong with learning scripture verses or, or uh, you know, worshiping. Those are wonderful things. But um, what I have to suggest, or what I have to believe, rather, is that there's, what about the person who's never been taught? It's not possible, it's not conceivable to me that a loving God could allow entire civilizations to be throwaway civilizations that never get to hear the voice of God and be in relationship because they never 
heard the King James Bible. Right, right. Which is only an American thing. Which is only an American thing. That's right. So I'd like to go here, if we can, that within uh, Catholic moral theology, so essentially Christian moral theology 101, the first tenet of Christian moral theology is trust your conscience. The second tenet is develop your conscience. And so I think that for many, many, many of us, we weren't given that kind of permission that we could trust our conscience, our inner voice, um, the, the, the thing that's inside of us. But we looked for external voices to tell us what to do. And I think that if I'm being really honest, the development of that conscience then was, was predicated upon following whatever the external voices were telling us. So that's why Christian bookstores are full of sections that give you right, seven keys right. to doing something. Right. Um, but rather, it's the basis of Christian moral theology that says trust your, I'm going to use a weird, a weird phrase, trust your implanted ethic. I like that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So what do you, I mean, what do you think? So how far, how far off the deep end have I fallen so far, Garrett? Well, I think you need to maybe um, explain a little bit when you, when, you, when you gave the two tenets. Yep. Um, I think you need to uh, explain a little bit what it means to um, develop it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a great point. So I'm not going to be able to tell you, I'm probably not going to be able to tell you what it might mean for you because all of us are so different. Um, but I can give some generalities. Um, and so I think some examples of what it might mean to develop our conscience is that we need to have healthy tools in our life that allow us to separate the voice of the ego from the voice of the beloved. The, the voice of beloved identity from the voice of our ego. And so part of developing our conscience is having um, prayer practices, um, relationships, community, if I can use a broad word, connectedness. So you're saying that there's two voices within us. In, and, in, and you're trying to separate those to find out which one's God and which one is our ego, which one's us. That's right. And, and, and what I want to be careful to say is I'm also not saying, I'm not saying that there is an external, so God's voice is out there, and I need to figure out how to, how to get it in. What I'm saying is that God is probably utilizing that voice. You already have it inside of you. Sure. So to me, that's the big move. So if you want to say, where's the big switch? The big switch is I don't need to, to figure out what hoops I need to jump through to get God's outside voice into my ears. What I need to do is I need to have healthy practices that can... Um, decenter my own ego so that I can allow the voice of God that's already inside of me to be heard. Amen. And that's sometimes, I'll just, sorry, excuse me. I, so sometimes that could even be your body telling you, you need to rest. Sure. That could be telling your emotions, or your emotions telling you, this relationship is unhealthy. That could be, um, there's lots of ways that that speaks but until we allow our, our, all of our being, our emotions, our soul, and our body, everything that we are, to have um, belonging and affirmation, I think that they will be in competition for who's really speaking. Uh, well, like we were talking about before, there's kind of a difference between passion and compassion. Mm, yeah. And, and I, I like the illustration that uh, Arthur Green gave that, talked about how the animals, you know, like a, a bird has that inner voice that says eat, drink, mm -hmm. uh, survive. Yep. And, and that same voice that tells that mother bird to, to feed the baby birds. Yep. Uh, in, in a same sense, that inner voice that we have that, you know, that, you know, eat, drink, reproduce, uh, uh, find meaning in life. Yep. It's that voice that that's within us. That's right. So if we've got two voices, going through us yeah and obviously you know we're not we 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 know that we're supposed to eat and drink and, and survive and sure and find meaning but how do you differentiate between those voices 
when it comes to uh, maybe uh, dealing with other people or, mm. or dealing with groups wow. or dealing with uh, just things in life? Well, I think the, the first thing I'll say is I think, I think that in our, in, this is my opinion, that in our hyper-individualized culture, we have created um, a, where in some ways we created a personal Savior. You know, that, that was what we would ask people, right? Is right, Jesus right. your own personal Lord and Savior? My individual That's right. Savior. That's yes. right. And so in doing so, we then um, somehow disconnected people to where they had to individually earn something. Right. Rather than salvation in the Jewish consciousness and in, in the early Christian church um, um, consciousness was all about the whole being saved, a communal salvation. Or being saved into something. Into something, or that's maybe right. maybe an awareness of that's right. what you're already a part what of. What you're already a part of, that's exactly right. right. And so that was Paul's big move was to say that the temple of God was not a building in Jerusalem where the presence of God dwelled, but but the temple of God is everything because everything is alive because the presence of God dwells within it. So that's why he would say things like everything is the body of Christ. The, you know, if it's living, you know, in what is it, the book of Acts, in, in God all things live, move, and have being. Mm -hmm. And so I really do think that there is this unique sense in then as we differentiate how we learn that measure of exchange with others is it's always going to be something that is about the letting go of our personal preferences while retaining our dignity. So, and the reason I give that caveat about dignity is because I have seen people, even wonderful things can be abused. And I've seen people say, well, we need to surrender and we need to submit or we need to sacrifice or we need to lay down what we want. And, and sometimes people can use that for manipulative and controlling uh, methods right. to try to control other people. This actually, the thing that's really unique that I have found, at least in this, is in the surrender um, to God, to God's design for us in our identity, it actually is something that dignifies our humanity rather than demeans our humanity. So it doesn't tell you that your humanity is bad and your spirituality is good. It says that the whole thing is good and actually brings a dignity to your entire being. That's the, that is the divine, the implanted voice. The ego voice will always be about defending and preserving our own personal preferences. So the, the, the voice of God is the voice of, of love, compassion, because it has to do with relational, it's a relationship in community. That's right. And so if we, if we are going through our day and, there, and, and we have a sense of compassion, a sense of love, a sense of unity, a sense of like, I want to do something to help I'm in COVID-19. I, I stay indoors, ah, my ego says, I wanna go out and I wanna do this, I wanna do that. Why should I have to stay indoors? But I stay indoors because my, you know, they're, they're the elderly or the people with a weakened immune system, my disabled grandson. Um, so that, that's, that's the voice of God that says, you know, is even the, the gifts of the spirit is for, for the community. It's for my brother, my sister. Right. And, and yet, if, if, if I hear you correctly, you're saying that if it satisfies the ego, builds up the ego, then we can be safe to say that's not God. That's, that's, exactly that's right. extra pizza I had last night. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly something. right. And, if it, and, and typically, it is going to be um, so... Man, I, 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 there's two things I need to say. The first thing I would think is that if it is the voice of the ego, it is always going to be from a defensive, po defensive and offended posture. And the true self is unoffendable. If you're offended, it's your ego. Sure. It's just that simple. I like that. I like if that, you're yeah. offended, it's the ego. Right. And so it's, and then the response of, of, of offense is always going to be 
defense. Right. <laughs> We're, we got offended, so now we want to defend ourselves. Right. And uh, justify ourselves in and some that way. Manifest, manifest in anger and accusations. Accusations. That's right. The accuser. That's right. So why don't you go there? Go there. <laughs> no, That's go, good. No, you go no. ahead. So, I'll, I'll keep giving pushback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, the thing that I, I think we have to remember is it is always going to drive us into that. And the other things uh, that I've noticed about the voice of God is when God is dealing with it's the inner voice. Even when I'm, I've messed up, I've made mistakes. Um, I know Garrett can't relate to this, but I regularly do make mistakes. Uh, relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the reality is God always, I know that it's God's voice and not my ego voice because the divine implanted voice, the voice of God, the inner voice, my conscience, when God's speaking to me in that way, is always kinder and gentler than I would be with myself. So that's why when you, the, the, the theme was, um, can we trust ourselves that you can trust? Yeah. If it's coming from love or if it's coming with, right. with compassion, yep. uh, you can trust, but if it's coming with uh, misdirect passion or yep. accusation, with, with, defensiveness, or, you know, the ego. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, I think we should read a scripture. What do you think? I think we might. Yeah, let's try that. <laughs> let's try that. It'd be a novel idea <laughs> for a couple of preachers to read a scripture. Um, so I was thinking about this, and um, and and like any good uh, like any good raised biblicist, uh, <laughs> I feel like there's got to be a scripture. Um, and so uh, this is Romans chapter two. Um, starts uh, uh, well. Let's start in verse thirteen. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who are justified. When Gentiles, which is Paul's code word for somebody that is not part of the religious group. Right. Um, when Gentiles who do not know the law, and he's talking about the, the, the Jewish law. Um, when Gentiles who do not possess or know the law do instinctively what the law requires... These, though not having the law, have become the law themselves. They show what the law requires is written on their hearts to which their own conscious conscience already bears witness. So essentially what this is saying is, well, go ahead. You tell me what you think it's saying, Garrett. Well, I, okay, I kind of come from the viewpoint, the perspective that you know, you have the law, and you have and you have love. You mm -hmm. have grace. Mm -hmm. It's like if I, when I do marriage counseling, and and I'm and, and you know, it, I could tell the the husband every Tuesday I want you to bring flowers to your wife, and I tell the wife every every Wednesday and Thursday I want you to make a nice dinner for your husband. You, you that that's kind of the law. Yep. Without love, that really is just. You're just doing works. There's there's really nothing to it. There's nothing. There's there, it's not coming from from a, a point of, of of I really want to do this. It, it's just out of duty. But when it's when when it when it when love comes into play into it, um, the law becomes effective. It becomes good. Yeah. And I don't think I don't. I've heard people say that we're not part of the. You know we don't have the law anymore. The law's done away with. I don't believe that. I believe that the law's fulfilled in love. And it's fulfilled in that. And, and I think that, that the Jews were coming out of a sense of uh, duty, uh, 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 who, who we are, tribalism. And, and I think the Gentiles were, were doing it not out of duty, but they were, they were actually fulfilling the law. So the thing that, that stands out to me in that verse, and, and the, one of the reasons I wanted to read it, I agree so much with what Garrett said. Um, but... No, 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 no buts. <laughs> there are no. Oh, I, oh, just because we're not. I, <laughs> you know what, Garrett? My love for you has no buts. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so what? What I I think about within that is that Paul makes a really radical point, and I'm going to use some different terminology just to m maybe offend us to the degree that Paul would have been offending the Romans that were reading the letter, the, the, or the folks who were reading the letter. So essentially, Paul is, is saying that 
the law is, is implanted in all people. And he said, he starts by saying that the law, those that do the law are the ones that are righteous in God's sight, uh, not those that just hear it. And then he takes it further, and here's where I'm going to make the switch for labels, if I can you know, use that language. If you're an atheist and act like Jesus, you're fulfilling the law, <laughs> even though you've never heard it. Right. Even so, what he's saying is because it's written on your heart, it is imp- So that's why somebody who has maybe never, be, never been told that that um, the way that you the way that you um, fulfill the law of Christ is that you love your neighbor recognizes that they should love their neighbor, and they're not doing so from a particular ri- religious, religiously informed posture. They're just doing it because it's... It's implanted within us. So, so are you saying that every single human being on earth that's ever lived has the law in their heart? Yes. In, that include- well, actually, Paul is, but I'm just agreeing oh. with Paul. <laughs> okay. In fairness. Okay, okay. I like that, yeah. So... I mean that, and and it's funny to me because the some of the passages Romans two is especially for I mean we know Romans road kicks out of Romans two I mean there's some pretty popular passages in Romans two for some reason all the preachers I heard never used those verses no they don't <laughs> they just jumped around them there's some implications there that I think uh, a lot of people want to yeah uh, stay away from that's exactly right so so um, the 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 Muslim up the street having never heard the law of Christ is righteous in God's sight and fulfills the law by their action because the law is implanted within them, having never even heard it. Amen. That's what the Scripture says, and I'm using... Well, that's what Paul says, yeah. That's, that's right. That's what Paul says. You have to agree with me. <laughs> Take it up, Paul. Not Joel. That's right. I didn't Paul say said. that. Paul says that. So <laughs> that's the idea here is that there's something within us. Now, I will agree that um, there are other voices I'm not saying every thought I've ever had is good or godly by any stretch of the imagination or healthy. But I am saying that um, in a day and age where there are so many external voices that are telling you, jump through this hoop and get this. God will speak to you. God will. How many churches are you hearing uh, or have you heard in the past? I don't want to make it specifically relative to this moment, but in the past that said, um, I've got a word from God for your life today. Or, or don't you need this prophetic word today? And there's nothing wrong with believing that God is still speaking. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. But isn't it interesting? And here's the big move I want to make, Garrett. So help me, help me get there because I, I don't know that I have the language for this exactly. But what ended up happening was the reason we didn't tell people especially in Western American Christianity, we didn't tell people that the first tenet of Christian moral theology is trust your conscience and the second is develop your conscience is because that would have undercut clericalism where people relied on their preachers to tell them what to do. And and salvation, that salvation begins, well, in the Catholic Church, it begins with with the church. Uh, with how we were kind of brought up, it it um, you're, you're like you were saying earlier, you you begin with with uh, total depravity. You're nothing but a no good sinner, and and there's nothing good in you. So we've sang songs like that, and it's only 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 Jesus is good, and totally forget uh, the fact that uh, going back to you know God has placed something in everyone's heart. Right. So there's there's good in every one of us then. That's right. That's right. And I think now once again. I think there is, there needs to be healthy practices and processes for developing this, for um, f- uh, for a, a maturation of sorts. But I do think it's a really interesting thing, and and you can see this has come full full uh, fully to bear in American charismatic culture, specifically right now, where um, there's this thought that whatever the preacher says is that's the law law. yeah 
and you're seeing pastors right now who are, I'll, I, I don't want to push this too far, but telling, telling people they need to still come to church. You know, so we're still going to have church gatherings because they're the, they have become the, the spiritual, moral, and ethical authority. And so because we have not empowered people to trust, by not empowering people to trust themselves, it allowed those in clergy mm-hmm. to retain power over people rather than the goal of clergy, which is always to bring power and come up underneath people, to elevate. It's like what we were talking about earlier, and and we've been taught to give people answers rather than help people to ask the, ask the right questions. Because when, when you know, answers end conversations, but questions continue them. We don't want, well, I'm saying, you know, how we were maybe before, we don't want people asking questions. Mm-hmm. We want them to just listen to us. We give them the answers. They say amen. They come forward, and, 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 and then they go home, and, and everything's all right. But if we get them to, if we invite them into that relationship of questions and, and, and talking with God and God's speaking to them, maybe they don't need me. Maybe they don't need the, right. the church and, and totally miss the, uh, the purpose of the church or the purpose of gathering. So, Garrett, would you say that a healthy, uh, uh, um, a healthy, safe environment where questions are acceptable is beneficial in the development of our conscience? Oh, I think it's necessary. I think. Explain how. Well, no, I mean, I, I think again, um, when we when we ask questions, it's like it's like prayer. Okay, prayer is is. You know, it's it's not to move God. It's not to to get God to want to to do something for us more than He already does, but rather it's to move us into a position. Questions help us to get to to posture ourselves. Questions, um, you know, as long as long as we have questions, there, there's a constant relationship. I, you comment on it. Well, I, I, what I'm just thinking of, and I, I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but I, what I'm immediately thinking of is so many environments, specifically religious environments that some of us might be familiar with, are environments where questions are actually not allowed, and everything has to reinforce the thing that's already agreed upon, which allows us to feel safe and isolates us from anything outside of that, and if we're really honest, allows us to then um, scapegoat and attack and accuse people who are different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scapegoating, that's that's the uh, favorite Christian pastime. It, it really <laughs> is the favorite Christian pastime. And I think, to me, um, we end up in a place where we... So that's why for so many churches, um, and and not by any means um, maliciously. I think of myself, um, there's this concept of of saying the thing that we already agree upon. And here's where it gets really interesting. What ends up being, if there's not good shadow work, if we're not doing good ego work, what we end up finding that rallies the troops more than anything and drives a sense of unity is is an agreed-upon stance of what we're all against. Rather than what we're for. I like that. And so it drives, it, it, it pushes us together. We need a common enemy right. to be able to, to all throw our hate on and our aggression on. And that drives us, it, it's, it's almost like in, in the foxhole together, that sense of the bond of brotherhood that begins to happen. Um, and that sense in in us um, is is what tends to happen in in religious circles as well as many other circles. It's not just uh, particular to or specific to religious circles. But I do think you're right that there's something that happens where if it's the 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 preacher says this and I'm not willing to think about anything different or not really given permission. Um, and, and then no room for asking questions. Well, yeah, because we, we've been taught that it's about who's in and who's out. Oh. 
And if you begin to question certain things, maybe I end up being out. I mean, even if you, I mean, we can agree on Jesus. We can agree on a lot of things. But if there's certain issues that we disagree on, it's all all of a sudden you're on the outs. And and it's really, really, uh, really sad. And that goes back to the inner voice. It's like if my inner voice is, is talking about compassion to somebody who's been pushed to the to the outer outer circle from you know out of you know where the the church has pushed certain people out and I have this compassion to love them I've got to trust that and I've got to just do it understanding that when I do that that persecution is going to come from within you know I, it reminds me I was reading a quote yesterday this is a, a, a Richard Rohr quote so I'm not um, I didn't. I didn't make Who? this up on my own. Uh, Father Richard Rohr. Okay. He's in Albuquerque. Okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar. All right. um, but he said, most people do not see things as they are; they see things as they are. So we we're in, in a, even God. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. The things. The reality. The big reality. So sure. it's not. Yeah, so that's exactly right. We're not even then seeing the divine as the divine is. Right. We're seeing the divine from our viewpoint, how we see. Right. And and the whole time thinking we're seeing seeing it the way it is. And we're judging other people for not so seeing So God it the same has way. to judge other people. That's right. Yes. So so we then I think I think the word would be project. Project. We yes. project that onto God that God is is labeling and judging and condemning because we're labeling and judging and condemning. We create God in our in own our image. image. That's right. That's <laughs> rather, right. rather than be the image of God. Yeah, that's right. And so, all right, so I, I think what I'd like to do if we can, and I want you to help me, Garrett, to, to get there. How do we, so the balance, I want to talk just, just briefly at least about the balance of our inner voice, or if you want to call that the inner authority, your own experience. Because uh, I'll give a, uh, a Bill Specken quote now, that a man, uh, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. So you can argue it all day long, but if somebody has experienced that thing, sure. you know, you're, it's, it's, it's their experience, you know. And... Um, I'm, I'm thinking about that we all ha- are going to have those, those inner voice, those experiences, those things that happen, but we do need to balance that with, an, with an, a connectedness. So some type of part of how we develop that is, in, is communally, I think is the word I want to use. Right. What do you think about that? And do you feel like that's a Christian or Jewish viewpoint oh, worldview yeah i think it's all about community again the the gifts of the spirit are, are all about other people edify the body um so are you uh are you saying like our relationship to keep it balanced like for example rather than than maybe you know i believe this and i believe that but rather i'm doing this and i'm doing that brings that maybe that balance that you're looking for I think so, and I think it's so. I bring it into a relationship because, if the in my opinion, relationship is based out of trust and requires vulnerability. Yeah, and so part of what I think, why I think there is has to be a healthy balance of an inner voice, which is what I feel like my conscience is telling me, and. And then that balance of the inner voice, or the, excuse me, the outer voice, where I'm in community with you. So the vulnerability means that, I mean, you, you may have the inner voice, but you don't become vulnerable until you do something about it. That's right. You act upon it. I act upon it. And right. I also become willing to understand that if I'm being in community or connectedness, that that allows me to have that sense. And I, I'm thinking there's lots of examples of this. Um, a church community could be that, um, a social group, a friend group. Um, it, it probably, if your only sense of community or the balance of this is what happens when you come to church on Sunday, it's probably not enough. Right. 
it needs to be, that's why, that's why there's all the language about two or three being gathered together, ascending the mountain twos. The whole concept is it needs to be vulnerable and relational. And I remember in Jesuit training, they would, they would talk about that the first thing about developing your conscience required you to be vulnerable enough to admit your ego's voice. And so what, what then happens is through spiritual direction, um, therapy, uh, relationship. When I'm, Garrett is, and I are in relationship together, so I have this internal voice that's telling me, giving me an ethical standard. But then when you see me living in a certain way, because we're relational, I'm also gleaning and learning from how you're living your life. And then recognizing that that's informing my inner ethic. Which is communal living. Which is communal living. That's exactly right. 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 And I think that that's, that's what decenters, part of what decenters the ego, because the whole thing about vulnerability is the decentering of my ego, where, where the world is not only as I see it. <laughs> It's just not that, and I, I love that Thomas Merton idea that, that the way your ego is decentered is almost always by suffering, and the clearest definition of suffering is simply the lack of control. When, when you are suffering is the lack of control. When you're not in control, you're in suffering mode, and that will always lead you into a vulnerable place where your ego is decentered because I can't control it. Okay, let me let me ask a couple questions. Okay, can you trust yourself? Yes. Why? Because the implanted voice of God is has been in me since the foundation. Okay, so you're basically saying there's two voices. Yep. The voice of God, yep. which is something that's implanted in us. It's already there. Yep. It's not like we have to wait for God to speak from heaven yep. and it, it travel and, 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 and you hear it or whatever in different ways. Yep. But it's already there. But there's also this other voice called the ego. Okay, so what does the ego sound like? It surprisingly sounds a lot like you. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, What? (laughs) Okay, I'll talk to you after. (laughs) No, No, I I know you've answered that around about, but I'm just kind of like bringing things down to maybe a summary. So the so the so to me, the ego sounds like a a defense of my preferences. Good, really good. And what does the voice of God sound like? The voice of God is always going to sound like a letting go on behalf of the greater connectedness. And what does that look like in practice? Jesus. <laughs> how does that look like? You in, said in, bring it down. Yeah. Okay. Let's, how does it sound like to, to Joel every day? You, yeah. I mean, you go to work and, yeah. and, you're, and, you're, and you're interacting with people. I mean, kind of... Because we, we, you know, we all have a, a life, yeah, and and we're we're talking about the voice of God, and I I honestly think that we mistake. Again, we talked about I have this passion, and 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 I and it's usually what I'm against. Yep. And it's usually about how I feel. It's and I obviously understand that to be the ego. Yeah. But a lot of us are going to mistake that because of church. Of course. It's like this yep. is truth. You yep. believe this and this and this. Protect it because this is your salvation. Uh, go ahead. I have to think that that's. To be honest, in f- I'm o- I can only speak from my experience, but the two primary ways is that is, first of all, informed from a healthy prayer life and in- interior work of some kind, uh, whether it's meditation, centering prayer, contemplative prayer. I-, I don't even really care what vehicle, but something that allows you to recognize it puts yourself in context that you are not the center of the universe. So you're praying. And you mentioned different forms of prayer. Yep. And I understand those forms that yep. you were talking about. Yep. But what would be the best type of prayer for, for somebody who's saying they're really searching for the voice of God? Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't hear God because yep. I've been told for so long that I'm no good. Yep. And and I'm trying to basically, not not really thinking, but you, you're subconsciously you're thinking, I have to uh, uh, earn God's favor. I'm yeah. ha- I have to, you know, what what would be somebody that you 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 mentioned prayer, and I and I'm all for that. And we talked about how prayer is it really to change God's view of me? Right. He already he already knows that 
I'm created in his image That's and right. his love for me is, is the same as his love for the Apostle Paul. That's right. Um, but what, what would someone mm. maybe pray? How so would they pray? If, so I always say, you know, and, and maybe I'll start here and, and bounce around and, and then we can probably, I don't know, be done after this unless you have something, no. uh, something to wind us up with. Um, but I think that the thing that stands out to me first is I've had a lot of people ask me before, how long should I pray? Or when do I know? So I grew up in, in a Pentecostal culture, which I still very much love and, and identify with, but we had a word for that called breakthrough. So when we got, you prayed until you broke through, right. until you got breakthrough, or you worshiped until you got breakthrough. Um, and, and then there was lots of different definitions of what breakthrough might look like or feel like, but it, it, if we're really honest, most of it, when you began to define it, most of it was defined by some sense of emotion. And, and that's not wrong or bad. In fact, I think it's really interesting that I was at the same time being told that my emotions were wrong and bad and I couldn't trust Don't them. trust your emotions. And yeah. then the other side. It's like God gave me emotions and yet I can't trust that, them. That's exactly right. Um, so I, I think that what I always tend to fall back on when people are asking, how long should I pray? Or when do I know I've gotten there? You get there. When your posture towards the world yes. is a loving yes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I was, I, I, it was really, I was kind of on my heart. Yeah. When your posture towards the world is a loving yes. When you can begin to love people who you thought were unlovable. That's right. Or when you begin to love people who you still may not think they're part of your group. That's but, right. But, but yet you love them. Yep. Yeah, and so to me, that's when, and every day, if you want to know what my prayer life looks like, every single day, and, and some days I use lots of different types of prayer. I, I use um, praying the scriptures. Um, today I spent um, quite, I mean, at the end, I already mentioned I'm Pentecostal, so it, it, today I spent quite a bit of time speaking in tongues in prayer. Um, I still very much utilize that in my prayer life. But the, the, the goal where I get to is... I need to be in that time until I can until I can uh, view the world through the lens of a loving yes. Amen. And I, um, I pray without ceasing, but <laughs> I noticed <laughs> you had you those. and the you and the Apostle Paul. Well, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> and and the the last thing I'll say is I remember reading um, Thomas Aquinas said that they uh, was writing about sin. Thomas Aquinas said sin is to transgress your own conscience. That's good. And I think that's a really helpful way, and I, I don't want to get it down the rabbit hole of you know needing to redefine sin and all that kind of stuff, but I, I do think it's helpful to recognize that deep within our, our Christian tradition, there's the idea that, um, and that's probably why Paul said things like work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and 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 that whole idea uh, to him that knows right and doesn't do it to him it's sin. Right. So is that transgression of the law, transgression of your conscience, the same? Uh, well, there's I, a connection there. There is absolutely a connection there, and I think it is in that I think according to Paul, um, the that the law of Christ is loving your neighbor first. Right. And so in order it, to love God. That's right. Right. And so Paul, Paul made a really interesting move when he, Paul said, okay, you, we need to make sure that we fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is loving your neighbor. And so within that, it's, it's this whole sense of, so to transgress my conscience is, is something where within us we know, we know when we're not treating our neighbor right. Oh, yeah. We just do. Because usually it's, it's, you have a little bit of anger or animosity. That's, or something. that's right. There's yep. something. Maybe it's just a little bit. That's right. And you, and you, and you think that it's holy anger. Yeah, that's And right. yet, I think you misunderstand yeah, holy anger. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think about that in the rallies that we're seeing, the political rallies that we're seeing. You know, at the end of the day, what, are we, what, what emotion are we rallying? Right. You know, what is the fuel source? What is, what's happening that's driving this? And, and if it's fear, and if it's rage, um, and if, if those two things are, are because of or against someone else, that's not out of a posture of love. Right. There's a big difference between t 
taking the tomato and throwing it. And then when the tomato's being thrown, protecting the person that's being thrown. Right. At. Yeah, yeah. So. That's exactly right. And I, 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 I once again, I, I just think, to me, at the end, the law is love. Right. And that's how that thing is implanted in the atheist heart, somebody who never even believes or has maybe even read the Bible to know what the Bible would teach. But even they'll have standards yes. that are Christ-like. They, I, Where's I, that come from? That's exactly right. How do so? If an atheist um, doesn't know what it means to be Christ-like, how do they love their kids so well? Right, and and it's the it's God has to be speaking to us. That's right. It's not a matter if God speaks to us. Yep. It's like God's speaking to us. What does it sound like? That's right. And when you say it sounds like Christ, it sounds, like, sounds love. like love. That's right. Amen. It sounds like Amen. love. Amen. So I think as we as we close out, um, I'd like to say that you have permission. You have permission to listen to your voice. You have permission to listen to your body, to your emotions, to your soul. And within that, there are going to be moments where you get it wrong. But what I would not want to see happen is to have that permission taken away because we've gotten it wrong. But rather, in the way that only God does, that you would be graciously held and shown uh, just have a glimpse of the mercy of God that is pouring into those moments where where the, the inner voice was the ego and we thought it was God. And that's just going to happen. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be um, trusting that voice and allowing, um, once again, an elevating of our dignity that says you are beloved. And, and out of that belovedness, it will naturally create a sense of seeing others as beloved too. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for this special episode of In Conversation from Harvest House Church. For more information, you can find us online at harvesthousechurch.org.